Hello and welcome to Carbon Removal Newsroom. I am Ross Kenyon, lead strategist with the Nori Carbon Removal Marketplace. Today, again, well, it's, just, it's basically just one day. We have Ramez Nam. <laughs> You're not supposed author. to let them know. Yeah, I'm this breaking is... the fourth wall. Sorry. <laughs> this is just a podcast. Uh, yeah, Ramez Nam is still in the office here. Author, futurist, and Nori advisor. Michael Leggett is Nori's head of product. Uh, Mez had a great article come out, uh, an additional one that is a little newer than the other one that we wanted to talk about. Michael, introduce us. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming in again. At a different time. Yeah, dude, yeah. We, we left the room and walked back. No. Uh, so you wrote recently about how clean energy has four different phases of development and that we're, that solar and wind and batteries that are about to enter the third phase and that it, it, you expect it to be the most disruptive yet. Can you tell us a little bit about these four phases and, and why do you think the third phase is going to be the most disruptive? Yeah, thanks. So I, I I think this is just a conceptual framework that I come up with that maps to what I'm seeing. Basically, there's four phases. Phase one, most of history, renewables were entirely policy dependent. They depended on subsidies. Phase two, they started in some places in the world to get competitive for building new power. Solar and wind, sometimes cheaper to build than to build new coal or gas. Phase three is when they're disruptive to existing coal and gas. And phase four is when they get slowed by headwinds that happen when you get really high penetrations. So phase one was the entire history of the world. From the 1980s until basically 2015, there was almost no place on earth where new renewables without subsidies could outcompete building new coal or gas plants. And the world, mostly Europe, spent a couple hundred billion dollars subsidizing solar and wind. And you see people who criticize Europe and say, you spent all this money and you got so little. Uh, and it looks like we got little. By 1995, solar was only 1% of global electricity, wind maybe 4%. So objectively, we got nothing, right? But that's the wrong axis. The axis of deployment is not the most important one. The axis of price, it turns out, is the most important one. Because what happened is that those subsidies from Germany and other countries, and some in the US, brought down the cost of solar and wind by a factor of 10. So then in 2015, for the first time, uh, maybe a few years earlier in the case of wind, you have solar and wind coming in in these auctions. The world moves from a feed-in tariff model to an auction model, where there's competitive auctions and the low bidder generally wins. And you have solar and wind just coming in with prices at auction, even though there's not subsidies, that are cheaper than coal or gas. And of course, this happens in different parts of the world at different times. It depends upon what your local price is for coal and gas. It depends on how sunny you are and how windy you are. We saw this in Europe. In Europe, uh, European countries subsidized solar and wind a ton, but by 2010, they were all getting tired of the subsidies with a heavy and heavy, heavier bill, slowing down, and solar was flatlining. Well, guess what? Solar is now exploding again in Spain and Italy. Why? Because now you've got solar bids in Spain that are like 25, 30% cheaper than the bids to build new coal without subsidies. So that's phase two, that these technologies, when they're head-to-head -head with coal and gas for new power, win. And then the crazy thing is that there's a phase three. And phase three is the most insane thing. I didn't think phase three would ever happen a few years ago, and now it, it is. Phase three is when it's cheaper to build new solar or new wind or new energy storage in some cases, or it'll happen in EVs too, new electric vehicles, mm -hmm. than it is to leave your existing fossil fuel infrastructure still running. Wow. Right? And the first sign It's cheaper this, to build something new. 
than yeah. it is to leave the old thing running. That's the idea. Wow. Yeah. And that's and that sounds insane, right? Yeah. So the first real indicator of this was in January of last year, uh, NextEra CEO, Jim Robo. NextEra is a big renewables developer and they also own Florida Power and Light, so a big utility. Mm-hmm. And their CEO said, hey, by the early 2020s, it's going to be cheaper for us to build new solar and wind than to leave our existing coal plants running. He said early 2020s. Okay. It didn't take till the early 2020s. Because then in October, (laughs) you have a utility in northern Indiana called NIPSCO. And this is in a place that is currently 65% coal powered, is what NIPSCO is. It's in a area that has mediocre sun for the U.S., definitely not like Arizona or Nevada or even Texas, it's Indiana. And it has pretty good wind, but not as good as the Great Plains or anything. And they put out their five-year, their IRP, their five-year resource planning document. And it says that on the basis of cost, the cheapest thing they can do, they can save their customers $4 billion if they go from being 65% coal-powered in 2018 Mm -hmm. to being 15% coal-powered in 2023, which is now four years from now. And their plan, their cheapest plan, does not call for any new natural gas. It calls for all of that reduction in coal to be offset, not offset, but to be replaced by solar, wind, batteries, and flexible demand. That's insane. Now, this is still a slightly subsidized price, uh, but the federal subsidies, the solar and wind, uh, ITC and PTC, are actually ramping down at this time. So it's actually not even very subsidized. So as the the subsidies are ramping down, that's that's still... And they say by 2028, no coal whatsoever, right? And in fact, they would go to no coal whatsoever, but they're just nervous to do that by 2023. That would be the cheaper option, but they're nervous about running uh, the grid. Uh, They they have to learn how to figure it out, how to do that. And then last month in March of 2019, Florida Power and Light says it's going to replace two aging natural gas plants with the world's largest battery. And then you have at the same time, you have Carbon Tracker that is a uh, think tank uh, that puts out these reports. They've been writing reports since 2017 saying something similar to NextEra CEO, saying that by the early 2020s, uh, basically everywhere on earth, but first they put out reports in the US saying that by the early 2020s, it'll be cheaper to have build new solar than to operate existing coal plants, cheaper to build new wind in windy states than to operate existing coal plants. And then they put out reports about India saying basically we've hit that point now. In India, the cheapest bids for solar are cheaper than the operating cost of about half the country's coal plants. Yeah. And then most importantly about China. China is not as sunny as India. China really, like, in renewables, well, they're the biggest renewables market in the world. They're not as sunny or windy as either uh, India or the U.S., at least not close to the cities on the coast. But even in China, Carbon Tractor finds that by 2021, new wind will be cheaper than keeping existing coal plants operating on average. And by 2025, new solar will be cheaper than the operating cost of coal. And natural gas is also expensive. Outside of the US and the Middle East, natural gas is expensive. So it's definitely cheaper than those things there. Now, okay, so people are like, well, Carbon Tracker, they are really motivated. They're, they Maybe they're not uh, fully balanced. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing some advocacy here. Sure. But then about two weeks ago, McKinsey puts out its report, its Global Energy Perspective 2019, that finds more or less the same thing. They, they rate 
what year will building new solar or new wind be cheaper than operating existing coal or gas by countries around the world? And in India, they find that new solar is cheaper than operating gas basically now and will be cheaper than coal in the next few years uh, on average of existing coal. In China, it all happens, you know, by between 2020 and 2030. In the U.S., in, the, in California, in the sunny parts of the U.S., it happens all by 2025. So there, this is McKinsey. These are like global consultants. They're, they're not environmentalists. Right. And they're saying the same thing. Yeah. So why did it, it, it took from, you know, 1980 to 2015 to go from phase one, entirely subsidy dependent, to phase two, where they could win for new power mm -hmm. on cost. Why did it happen so quickly that we entered into phase three? It's because the cost difference between building a new plant and operating a plant is only like a factor of two or three. You know, a third or a half of the cost of uh, electricity from a coal or gas or coal plant is the operating cost. Interesting. Two thirds of the cost of a natural gas. Power it's over the lifetime of the, the over the lifetime. Wow. Yeah. And natural gas, it's mostly fuel cost actually. And natural gas is still the, cheap, the cheapest thing in the U.S. So solar and wind dropped by a factor of ten to get from phase one policy dependent to phase two, where they were competitive for new power without policy. They only have to drop another factor of two or three around the world to get to where they're cheaper than the operating cost of existing coal and gas. And so everybody tracks you know, how fast are solar and wind growing, and wind growth around the world definitely slowed down. Uh, and solar growth around the world looks to be slowing a little bit. But that, that growth happened at a time when it's mostly been just dependent upon policy. But we're entering this whole new phase where it's just, man, it'll save us money to build solar and wind and turn off this existing stuff. So how fast will it grow then? I don't know. But it's it's not going to be constrained by policy. Calm before the storm. It's, I think it's the calm to, before the storm. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Like we're entering a super disruptive phase. Interesting. How how does this so these four phases of things, you know, entirely uh, subsidy dependent and then able to compete uh, when you're thinking of building something new and then being able to actually compete with the thing you've already built. How do those phases do you think apply to other technologies, especially, you know, within carbon removal? You know, if I think of like the technology of, you know, direct air capture, like uh, the, my understanding is even if we we covered the, the earth and, and trees and like the, the biological ways of removing carbon uh, to deal with climate change, are not sufficient and that we have to actually invent technology to pull out the emissions we've put up there. So uh, how do you think these other technologies are in these phases and how do, how do the, this, you know, what lessons do you have from these phases yeah. do you think for that, those other technologies? I mean, I think the, the lesson overall is that the way that policy has its biggest impact is by driving these technologies down in cost, mm -hmm. by scaling them, investing R&D dollars and creating a market for these industries, for solar, wind, batteries, whatever, that allows the people developing them to make money, which allows them to innovate and allows them to reinvest R&D dollars. So that's the key lesson for policy, is it's not about what you do to your own country. The policy benefits are externalized. It's all about lowering the cost. And so the, the next place I think is transport. We see now the cost per mile of electric vehicles is on a par or maybe cheaper yeah. than gasoline vehicles. And that's just gonna keep happening. And when, it, when we get there for trucks, which might be next year, there's only 15 million semis in the US. There's 260 million passenger cars, 15 million semis. If those trucking companies think it's cheaper to switch to electric semis, they're gonna do it. 
right? Well, yeah, and I also think like the the whole the, the angle around transportation also with like self driving and how that can be a lot more efficient as well. Um, and actually, you can start to maybe produce fewer vehicles if they're running more. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting shifts that can you happen. Will. And in we'll compare more on cost too. Yeah, when you're hailing an Uber, you like if one of them is going to be a quarter of the cost is electric and autonomous, you're going to yeah. take it, right? Yeah. And then I think it's the same thing for industry. And then for carbon removal, maybe. I mean, I think the fact that electricity is going to get so cheap mm. is good because that's one of the inputs yeah. to the cost of and carbon it's clean. capture. Like if you're burning clean. gas to remove gas yeah, like that, true. that seems... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it gives me hope. Yeah. Interesting. Well, do you want to make a prediction we can later hold against you for phase four? <laughs> Phase four is when, like with renewables, we really do have challenges getting to 100%. So phase four is when you have so much solar and wind, they're, they're lowering the wholesale price of electricity the hours they're producing. You're starting to deal with intermittency problems that are hard, like not even hourly storage, but shifting energy from summer to winter in Europe and stuff like that. And that kicks in depending on how big a grid you have when you're at like 70% penetration, something like that. So we're still a little ways from kicking into phase four, uh, but it's real. We have to figure out how to close the last 10, 20, 30% of electricity uh, emissions, how to make that be carbon free. And that's a hard problem that people yeah. are working on. It. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back some time to discuss that in more detail, I am sure. Thank you, uh, Ramez Nam, for being with us. And Michael Leggett, thank you for, for guest hosting this for us. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, if you like the show, uh, as always, please like, uh, subscribe, rate and review it on iTunes, and tell your friends. So thank you so much.